All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Resource Insider Podcast, the quarantined edition. It is currently Wednesday on week two of quarantine for me, and today our guest is a macro-focused portfolio manager at Crescat Capital, and his name is Tavi Costa. And I've gotten to know Tavi a little bit uh, over the last, I guess, couple months because my analyst, uh, Nick, and him are, are colleagues in Denver, and they talk a lot about mining and gold and energy and a lot of different macro themes. And Tavi is actually part of our Resource Insider Challenge contest. He's picked a portfolio of stocks there, and you should all go check that out at resourceinsiderchallenge.com. He's pitted against numerous other leaders, investors, CEOs, etc. in the space. But that's not what we're here to talk about today. Today, Tavi and I are going to talk about what's going on with coronavirus, how Crestcat is managing it, and the opportunities that he sees for investors, especially those focused on the precious metals and resource space. So, without further ado, Tavi, thank you very much for taking a few minutes out of your day and sitting down and chatting. Hey, Jamie, thank you very much for having me. Look forward to talking to you. So where are you right now? You look extremely professional, unlike most people I talk to that are sitting in their living rooms and I'm perfecting the sort of homeless lumberjack wino look right now and you're looking good in a suit. Are you at your office still? No, I'm actually working from home, but today when I, when I have interviews, anything like that, our office is completely empty. So I still come, Kevin comes here too for just for interviews. So that's all we do. It's not like we have interviews all day. Um, but you know, every week we have a few and, um, so we just kind of share the space, um, for that and it's been working, but we've been working remotely. Uh, the entire company has been working remotely, uh, since, uh, maybe a week and a half ago. Um, it's, you know, it's been fine. Uh, thankfully our industry allows us to, uh, to do that. Uh, but, uh, anyways, it's, uh, uh, our building is completely empty. It's, it's actually weird to come here at this, at this time of the day. <laughs> Yeah, it's a bit of a ghost town out now everywhere. I, uh, I'm i at Whistler uh, in a cabin here for the week, and I went and did a short walk outside and kind of looked into Whistler Village, and it's like a ghost town, and there's literally nobody there. And this time of year, it's normally teeming with, I don't know, thousands, tens of thousands of tourists. So it's uh, it's a bit like being in The Walking Dead, I think. I always like, <laughs> that's what it feels like. But what, let's start off with telling people what Crescat is and what your role there is. Sure, so Crescat is a global macro uh, fund and we manage about four strategies. Uh, our process really evolves around building macro models and equity models. Um, Kevin started the firm by building equity models at the beginning and then I came along and started to more of uh, evolving the whole process and developing uh, using the same methodology and same ideas. Uh, but applying that to the macro environment in general by building and looking at macro indicators that would help us to at least uh, identify or at least try to identify where we are in the business cycle. Uh, we put out a few of those charts of, uh, of those macro indicators that, that uh, we think it's relevant to, uh, to the world and, um, and we implement the portfolio by uh, creating a, a narrative or macro narrative along those models. So it's, it's mostly data driven, but it's not systematic at all. Um, and we've had a, a few successes in the past of uh, finding a lot of and uh, uh, finding a lot of those macro events that happened in the past. And I think that that's uh, 
uh, it's something we were, would like to do it again. And uh, I think we've been doing it uh, now. We, we're, we have been a very uh, uh, bearish uh, in the last few years, I would say, year or so. Um, it's been, uh, it's been, it was hard initially with a melt up in the markets, as you, you, you heard and seen. Uh, but we, you know, we held up our, our positions very well, and I think it's paying off now. Um, but there's a lot to go. I think we're at the very beginning of, of a downturn in the equity markets in the U.S. Um, we'll get into that a little bit more. Um, but at Crescent, we're very focused to capitalize on this, what we view as one of the best setups in, in our careers. Uh, used to be more on the equity short side, and now it's becoming more of the precious metal side. Um, I'll go into that a little later. Yeah, well, you know what? I think now is the perfect time. Let's talk about why you think precious metals uh, have been set up so well as a trade. And, you know, we'll get into how you guys are playing that. Yeah, let me share a, a chart with you guys, uh, if you don't mind. Uh, let all me right. Get it here. This uh, is our first, our first screen share on the podcast. So if it all goes horribly wrong, everyone should blame Tabby for this. So. It's my fault. All right. <laughs> uh, all right. Oh, we did it. We did it. Yeah, it's working. So everything initially, uh, I think it started with looking at this macro model. It was a 16-factor macro model that we built. Uh, it, it combines a lot of macro indicators and fundamental indicators in terms of valuations, and as well as uh, some other technicals to give you a little bit of the, the trend on, in terms of momentum. Uh, we realized that this model was above the, you know, the 80th percentile, which is the late cycle stage that we call. Uh, this model actually you know, was very good at timing previous uh, bubbles in the past, and uh, we, we thought that, that this was a time to be cautious. But one thing we didn't see, which is not part of this model, was this, was the percentage of inversions in the yield curve. And I think this was a key uh, part of, of not just uh, the way we started to implement the entire portfolio and position the portfolio, but also giving us conviction about this uh, more bearish approach. So, um, so, Tavi, for those who have never heard that expression before, can you just give us a brief overview of what an inversion in the yield curve is and what it signifies? Yes. Uh, so essentially, this is just looking at the credit markets and looking at the treasury curve. Uh, so if you think about it, there's a, a lot of interest rates in, in the treasury curve. There's 30-year yields, 10-year yields, 7-year uh, yields, 5-year yields, all the way to overnight rates. Um, usually, a lot of people like to pay attention to the 10-year yield versus the 2-year yield. So when those two spreads, the one that spread of the two yields um, uh, uh, invert. Uh, what you see usually is that either you are at a uh, you're coincides with a recession or precedes a recession. That's uh, mostly what we've seen throughout the history. Now, what we thought was uh, a better way to do it was much more comprehensive way of looking at inversions. Is looking at all 40, 45 possible spreads in the yield curve. So I'll give you an example: thirty versus tens, uh, tens versus fives, and goes all along the the, the line of the treasury curve. And what we realized was that in August of 2019, about 70% of the yield curve in the U.S. was inverted. Uh, and when you look back in history, as you can see in this chart, um, every time that happened, it preceded or coincided a recession. But most importantly is that when you look at more empirically, what are the best assets for you to own? Uh, and this chart here, this was for us, it was uh, where we, we felt more comfortable with precious metals was that what we realized is that there are a few times in history that when you reach this 70% uh, um, percentage of, of, of inversions in the yield curve, and that sometimes treasuries work well, sometimes gold works really well, but in average, for instance, stocks tend to decline by about 27% in the next two years. 
And uh, the other part that we, we, we saw was that uh, gold to the S&P 500 ratio was actually the best uh, asset or best way to position your portfolio during times like this. Um, the blue line there is just looking at S&P 500 ratio since we had this 70% uh, handle in the inversions. Um, and the yellow, the white line in this, in this chart is just looking at times when, uh, so the yellow line is just uh, all, all the other five times that that happened throughout history. And the, the mm -hmm. white line is actually looking at the times when you have this commodity to equity ratio at a massive distortion, which is yes. exactly what we're seeing. Yeah. So this is a chart I've seen passed around the internet a lot over the last year. Uh, can you break this down for us and explain why this is so important? Yes. Um, so essentially, this gives you a sense of uh, how historically overvalued equities were. In our calculation, if you looked at you know eight fundamental factors or so, we realized that equities were historic overvalued in all those pretty much all those factors. Also, if you break down through sectors itself, you can also see that about eight out of the eleven sectors are above the ninety percentile historically too. Under you know things like EV to sales, for instance, or CAPE ratio, or EV to free cash flow, or just PE ratios adjusted for margins. I mean, there are so many indicators today, or not as much uh, today anymore, uh, but but that were at, at, at times that we never seen before. It was very similar to uh, euphoric levels that we've seen in two thousand and nineteen twenty nine levels. Uh, now, this chart is important is because uh, when you're looking at gold to S&P 500 ratio and you look at all those times that you had uh, such a level of inversions in the yield curve, is that when this commodity to equities ratio was so distorted historically, it was actually the, the best times for you to own gold and sell stocks. And when I say sell stocks, I mean short stocks. Um, here at Crescat, we decided to take a different approach rather than just shorting S&P 500. We decided to just use our models and look for the most overvalued companies you can find in the world. And then in terms of precious metals, not just being long gold, but being long silver and some other precious metal stocks. So that's where it comes about in terms of implementing that in the portfolio. But Tabby, say, mm -hmm. can I ask you just as a, a quick tangent, what are some of the most overvalued companies you've seen in the world, if you're able to talk about that? Yeah, uh, I think some of them were uh, in the software industry. Uh, we've seen a few yep. of the companies there trading at absurd valuations of 50, 60 times annual sales. You know, give you another example of oil companies, for instance, today, a lot of them trade uh, one-time sales. Uh, sure, a lot of them don't make any money, uh, but it, it's, uh, you know, you can see the difference. Um, I think we saw a lot of the issues with uh, utility companies, believe it or not. A lot of the utilities um, are historically um, over leveraged. Um, also, at the same time, they are at historical valuations too. Uh, it's a very capital intensive uh, uh, sector. Uh, and what we see is that when you aggregate free cash flow throughout history, you can see as well that those companies have been losing money almost every quarter. Um, other parts of the world that we saw was, uh, you know, we believe that China is one of the largest credit bubbles we've seen throughout history. Uh, we have data to back that up. Um, but essentially, uh, if you look at the ramifications of that bubble itself, you can see uh, Canada, Australia, Hong Kong are some of the places where we see some of the imbalances uh, of that. And answering your question, a lot of those uh, banks are, are some of the most overvalued companies we've seen uh, in the world today. ADRs, Chinese ADRs are also some of them. Uh, there, you know, there are some other pockets of the market, but I would say the technology uh, was was also a, a big sector that had a few uh, a lot of companies that that you know that that looked uh, 
in, in an interesting setup as a short uh, as a short uh, seller, I would say. Um, but um, yeah, I think I think those are the most ones. I've, you know, pretty much like I said, eight out of eleven sectors are historic valuation. So pretty much, if you <laughs> if you pick any of the sectors, uh, you were uh, you were you're you're in, in in good hands on the short selling side. The real question was when the the bubble was going to pop, and I think the coronavirus right. kind of did that uh, in terms of uh, becoming a trigger. Um, but Anyways, I think that there's uh, uh, there's uh, plenty plenty companies is still there's a lot more downside in my view. Uh, the the passive income bubble uh, or the passive I should say the the investment uh, passive investment bubble in general I think was was one of the reasons why we see this sort of uh, uh, excessive valuations across all the uh, sectors overall. Um, but anyways, but even after this sell off that we had in the markets now. You know, when you look at total market cap to GDP, we're just reached the level of the housing bubble right now. And sure, I know that GDP will plunge very soon uh, and will cause this ratio to rise. But it just puts into perspective of, of how we were truly at massive valuations. Um, but anyways, um, one, one thing we saw here in this, in this market more recently that I thought was interesting, and I think you, you probably saw this chart, um, is uh, I, I think that this, this cycle... Uh, was marked by by a lot of reliance on central banks in general. Uh, that money printing was going to continue to uh, uh, to prop up equity markets. And what we saw back in in in, in September of 2019 with the repo uh, market crisis, uh, I think that that was a, a liquidity issue. And a lot of people actually saw that the opposite way. Since the Fed was expanding its balance sheet, everyone was seeing this as an opportunity because it was increasing liquidity in the markets. What was actually quite the opposite. Uh, it was a lack of liquidity, and it was probably driven because of uh, the government is is having to issue even more bonds, and the and the and the Federal Reserve is having to step in and purchase those. So I think that this was more of a uh, a technical issue. And what we saw more recently is this, you know, the sort of uh, uh, a lot of people used to say that uh, equity markets and the Fed balance sheet it, it was supposed to be uh, positive correlated. When actually, as you see in this chart, it's quite the opposite. Uh, we're seeing Fed, you know, central banks balance sheets actually uh, rising globally, while mm -hmm. S&P 500 is just going lower and lower. Global markets are going lower. And uh I think the dynamics now, and why going back to that gold to S&P 500 ratio idea, um, if, if you look at this chart right now, this just gives you more conviction into the, the precious metals, becoming more of a, of a hedge on the long side if you have a portfolio position the way we are. Um, so as you can see, the dynamic that we're seeing more recently is that since the market peaked, um, which I think it peaked uh, in, in, in February 19th, uh, the one thing you see when you have those relief rallies, like we said, we had today, for instance, but we had plenty of times here on some other days as well, uh, is that gold stocks and silver stocks have actually been outperforming the market. They've been outpacing the equity markets, overall equity markets. And that for us as a hedge fund is a very interesting uh, thing to, uh, to be looking at because- And sorry, over what, over what time period have they been outperforming the general equity markets? Yeah, since, the February, since February 19th, every time you have, a, not when the market is declining, when the market is having a relief bounce, watch for those relief bounces because for us, when the market is down, we make money on the shorts, right? Now, right. we need to look for ways to hedge the portfolio when we have those relief bounces. And which is going to happen. Those happen in any other recession, any other bear market throughout history. Um, and 
well, when you look at those relief balances, every single time, or I would say almost, almost all times, you, you see actually precious metal stocks uh, reacting incredibly well. And that's because the more equity markets fall and the more the economy deteriorates, the more money printing you're going to need to pause this recession and pause this deterioration in macro indicators overall. We are yet to see institutions failing. We haven't seen a single institution failing yet, like we saw, we saw in you know Lehman Brothers in 08 and some yep. others. Um, do you do you anticipate that's coming down the pipeline? I do. I think I think that there's a, a, a few problems in the markets today. First of all, we started to see the the private equity market um, uh, issues, uh, as you saw. It started really in September of 2019 with the WeWork uh, insane valuations that uh, proved to be wrong, and they they couldn't uh, have their IPO, and the whole entire industry. If you can look at, it, there's a good. Bloomberg Venture Capital uh, barometer that I've, I've been posting out uh, on Twitter, which I think it's very important to see that. You can see that that peaked and it's down like 50% already from the peak. Um, and and it, if you look on a year-over-year basis, uh, private equity or just venture capital barometer actually is now uh, at levels in the depth of the, of the global financial crisis. So clearly we're seeing issues in that part of the, of the, of the industry, of, of an industry. Uh, the other thing that we're seeing as well is in ETF providers. The more equity markets decline, you would expect that this passive bubble in general uh, is, is going to start having issues with ETFs. Uh, I was looking at about, Bloomberg provides a database with uh, about 10,000 or so names in the ETF, uh, of ETFs, and you can see the, the inflows of those, and uh, a lot of them are actually blowing up, uh, including some of the, the ones like JNUG <laughs> that, are, that have positions in precious metal stocks, yeah. as you know. Um, I mean, there there's so many 3X and 2X uh, bear and bold um, ETFs out there. All of those are blowing up. Even the bear ones, believe it or not, they should be working at times like now, and they are not. Uh, when you look at you know uh, of those ten thousand ETFs, and you look from the peak to where they are today, man, there's about three thousand or so. They're over you know ninety percent or so decline already. Um, so you know you can see some some very severe issues in the ETF uh, uh, in, in, in ETF sector, and I think it's going to have issues with the ETF providers, in my view. Um, the third part that I think is also important is on the risk parity uh, strategies. Risk parity has been a, a, a strategy that has worked, you know, very well throughout the years. Uh, if you're, you know, if you're long stocks and long bonds in general, especially treasuries, uh, that has uh, worked well as a safe haven in terms of treasuries, <coughs> especially at days in our, or, or periods when equity markets are declining, treasuries tend to rally. But now we're seeing, a, I have a chart here that is very interesting. Uh, of a day here that we had uh, was actually a few days. But I, I also did a research in a, a not just one day, but a few days. But this was a sort of an outlier event on March 18th that we had treasuries actually selling off along with equities. Um, this is not a very normal uh, thing to see. And I think what's happening is that a lot of those risk parity funds are now facing redemptions because of the equity part of their portfolio that is declining too much. And it, it's causing them to have to sell their positions in general and causing them to sell treasuries. I think it's one of the major reasons why the Federal Reserve is having to come in, step in with this uh, QE to infinity insanity that we're hearing now. Um, that is, you know, I think it's only going to get worse personally. Yeah, a lot of people I'm talking to are saying, well, I've seen a little bit of a rally we've had over the last couple of days. And they say, you know, that's it. We've hit a bottom in equities. It's time to start repositioning yourself. 
I don't personally share that view, and it sounds like you definitely don't either. Yeah, uh, look, I'll go back. I, I like to use data to instead of just saying what I feel like it's going to happen. But look, look at this. Yep. this. This chart right here is just looking at sentiment in the markets. You're looking at AAII bull versus bears ratio. We have one of the steepest declines in the markets uh, in, the la in the last 25 days. And guess what? This ratio isn't even at, a, at, a, at an extreme yet. You know, I mean, look at the bottom of the financial crisis, way below, way lower than this, what we are today. This is just one example. The other issue that I see here is that not a lot of people are talking about is elections. Remember, the more markets fall, <laughs> the higher the probability of Democrats winning elections. That is a self-fulfilling prophecy and should add to the, to the bearish thesis in a way. This is one of the, the V recoveries that we're seeing uh, today, V-shaped recoveries. There's two V-shaped recoveries we're seeing in the world today. This one, and we're also seeing central bank balance sheets. The two are probably the only ones we're seeing right now. Uh, sure, the markets have rallied more recently, but when, <laughs> but when you look back into like this model, for instance, look at this model right here, which, as I said, you know, goes back in the history. It looks at a lot of indicators that usually um, have are very highly correlated to the changes in the business cycle. And when you see this, you know, we're <laughs> we're just at the beginning of of a crisis here. Um, I think. Just looking at valuations, we came down, what, 30% or so in the equity markets? Um, yep. We were close to 60% in our calculation above uh, the medium levels of multiples overall. Again, that's looking at an average of multiples, not just one or two fundamental multiples that we cherry pick. Um, and this is important because markets work as a pendulum. So usually you don't go back to your medium level. You actually surpass that level. And that's why we see throughout history those 70 and 80% uh, declines in equity markets. I think that's a, a huge part of, uh, of our thesis. We're still positioned to the, on the short side. We have covered a lot of our, our short positions more recently. Um, as you know, if you're short the market and your, your position works, your position actually shrinks. Um, so we've, ha we've been letting those play out for a bit and been adding more to the precious metals market as I think that those are going to be the ones really working uh, more in the next lag here of the, of the bear market. Great. So a lot of the people um, that are going to be listening to this are investors at home. Uh, you know, they're not a hedge fund. They don't necessarily have the sophistication to be laying on all the shorts and that you do. Do you have any advice or recommendations to the general investor that has a portfolio or maybe they're considering starting one for the first time? What should they be focused on? What should they be buying that will give them the best chance of not only riding out this crisis, but benefiting from it? Yeah, I think there's a few things. Uh, first of all is pay attention to where your money is investing in what currency, what fiat currency, or what, what is it based on? And I say this because I have a lot of, I'm, I'm from Brazil, so I get a lot of questions from Brazilians. And my answer to them is, is your money in reais, Brazilian reais? Is your money in Canadian dollars? Is your money in euros? Um, even the dollar itself. I, I do think the dollar is probably the best uh, housing in, in, in a bad neighborhood. Uh, and I, I can go on to in, in a little bit into that later. But what I think is as an investor, if you're trying to just simplify your portfolio, I think you should, if, if this is time to own gold. I'm not sure if it's a great time to own treasuries personally. If you do, I wouldn't put a lot of, uh, of, my, of, of my money into that, um, especially after the move that we already had. Um, mm -hmm. I think cash is not a bad idea if you're <clears throat> holding in dollars, uh, US dollars, better than any other fiat currency in the world today, in my view again. Um, but you know, messing with the short side, it's, it's not, it's not a very easy game. I have to say, 
And I say that because of the, the volatility that we are right now. This last few days have marked a, a, a regime change in, in, in market volatility, in my view. And, you know, for us, even for us, that we're actually well positioned for this type of market right now. It was actually great for us, this decline. Um, it was hard. It was very hard to, uh, you know, to see the portfolio swinging, uh, you know, many percentage of points throughout the day, you know, like going, you know, being up 10% and then down, you know, then up 2%. That's an 8% swing. Like that happened plenty, plenty of times during this, this period. Um, and the opposite too, you know, being down one, 2% and then being up 5%. This is not a normal market. Uh, not something yeah. that if you're not used to it emotionally, I don't think you should be playing the market at all. When people ask me, isn't it in crisis that you're supposed to be allocating money and making and to make good investments? Yeah, but we're in the middle of a crisis. We're not at the bottom of a crisis at all, in my view. Um, so I think that's a big difference. I would be cautious. Um, I would, again, I would allocate money into dollars and, and, and gold. Um, that's really yeah. what I would do. Um, yeah, this, uh, what's going on right now is, you know, is certainly not for the faint of heart. And it, it looks like even, even a lot of professional money managers are frankly freaking the hell out about what's going on. When you talk about buying gold, do you mean physical gold or do you mean gold equities? For the funds, we don't buy physical gold. Um, um, we buy just on the future markets, which I know there's a big debate between paper and physical gold. Uh, mm -hmm. Nowadays, I do think that the, uh, you know, I believe, I believe that, that gold prices will still follow uh, along, uh, meaning if you if you hold the uh, paper gold is still, you know, you still be fine. I think uh, in, in the if, if the market rallies in your favor, if there if, if gold goes to three thousand or so, I, I, I announce I, I do think that it's uh, uh, you're still going to be fine owning the paper um, uh, gold, uh, especially in the future markets. In my view, um, I think precious metals is a great way to uh, to uh, to play as well. Uh, we've been doing a lot of that. Um, we can get into that a little bit. Um, and I, you know, silver as well. We, we own a lot of silver, a lot more than we uh, ever owned in the past. And, uh, I think silver, the setup for silver is, uh, as good as it gets. And I thought we were already at that setup even prior to this sell off. And now it just in, uh, intensified the whole, the whole thesis in my view. Uh, I think, I think silver is probably the, the cheapest macro asset in the world today. Um, and you know, I, we're, we're, we're a big holders of that, of the asset, no doubt. So before we take off, um, you mentioned something earlier that I wanted to, to touch on is that you were short uh, basically the Chinese and Hong Kong dollars, right? Or the Hong Kong yeah. dollar and the Chinese uh, renminbi. What is your view on the economy of China at this time? Obviously, you're, some, you're pretty bearish of it, but can you give us a, an overview of what led you to that and what you think is going on there? Yeah, I think every, every cycle of bull markets in general has a, uh, some country or or industry or sector that is at the center of that, those imbalances are created during a, a bull market. Uh, this time, I think, was China. Uh, you can see that by looking at their banking assets relative to GDP, which is about $40 trillion right now, and, and banking assets relative to a, a GDP that's about 300% of, of, uh, of that proportion. Um, and what you see there, in my view, is, is that, is, is first of all, you have a housing uh, a housing bubble in, in, in a lot of parts of China. Uh, we, we, we calculated that by looking at co uh, comparing the home builders in the US versus the property developers in China. When you look at the property developers in China, for instance, um, and you put them all together, you can see that in, in accumulative uh, numbers, they lost close to $300 billion of free cash flow 
uh, since the global financial crisis. At the same time, they added close to $600 billion of net debt. Um, so that distortion clearly is a problem. Uh, we've, we've had some sort of infrastructure bubble in China for some time now. The real question is what was going to pop the whole bubble? Um, and a lot of times it's the cost of capital is, is what triggers that. And the cost of capital rises uh, when you have extreme debt levels is, is when you can't service that debt anymore. Uh, and that's what causes the whole issue to unfold. Um, in China right now, we're seeing inflation number one. Uh, and that was caused by the pork prices rising initially, um, you know, doubling or so. And then you had food uh, inflation about, you know, 20%. And then now inflation, overall inflation is probably at about 5% or so in China. Uh, you know, when you have a lot of debt, that is a big problem, number one. Number two, you have having companies starting to default. Uh, when you have that as well, usually, you know, the bond market and the equity market won't, won't provide you capital as cheap as they used to. So your yields for your debt when you issue debt is probably going to be higher. And that usually causes cost of capital to rise. I think the, the combination of that was a problem. The number, other issue was also uh, the political crisis in, in, in Hong Kong was unfolding last year. It was another uh, sort of a, a trigger uh, of, of a lot of the issues we we're seeing. And I think mm -hmm. the, another problem was the virus. So if you think about the, the sequence of facts that happened in China, the virus outbreak started in China. So that was the manufacturer plant of the world shutting down completely and not producing anything because they're having to deal with the, deal, with the outbreak of the virus. And then what happened is China is fine now. It's getting better. It's coming back to normal. And at the same time as the whole world now is shutting down. So demand is becoming a problem, right? Because there's no, no one is really buying as much as consuming as much as it used to. Um, right. I think that that's going to become a problem because China has, a uh, since the global financial crisis, its current account has shrank close to nine percentage points. And that is an issue when you have a country that is desperate, in desperate need for dollars because of that. Uh, so shrinking current account has been a problem. We put a chart. Um, I don't have a chart here that you can look at that the shrinking current account usually coincides with uh, the appreciation of currencies. Argentina was a great example of that. Um, you know, there's plenty others. And I think that when you look back in history and you see how does credit bubbles um, uh, tend to uh, unfold, uh, especially in emerging markets, is that what you see is that gold prices in local currency terms tend to rise. And, and in our view, gold in renminbi terms will start rising. We saw in 2019 some nonsense thesis that China was pegging their currency with gold. That, that has proved to be completely wrong. Uh, gold in renminbi terms has been rising significantly. That's what we call the macro trade of the century, being long precious metals in renminbi terms and being short global stocks. So far in 2019, precious metals part worked. This year has been the, the shorts, and I think the precious metals is going to start working very soon again. All right. Uh, well, Tavi, I know you got a lot going on, so I'm going to leave it there. But is there anything you want to leave our listeners with, things that I haven't asked that you think they should be thinking about at this time? I'll show two charts that I think are important. One is right on the screen right now, which is the yep. gold to silver miners performance that a few days ago that I put this chart, <laughs> this was the case. It was the worst performance in a quarterly basis uh, ever uh, for miners. And I think this is, it poses an incredible opportunity when you have negative yielding bonds all over the world. Also, you have central banks uh, you know, acting the way they are acting today. 
Um, another chart that I think it's interesting is this one. It's just looking at the you know, Philadelphia Stock Exchange for Gold and Silver Index. And you can see this is also, uh, you know, I, I, I joked it on Twitter, find me an industry that, it is, that is trading below levels of 1980s. And it's also been, it should benefit from this, uh, this insanity that we're hearing from central banks of uh, QE infinity. Um, so I think that, that this is an incredible opportunity. You know more than I do in terms of uh, uh, digging into uh, specific names. And I think from a macro level, this is as, as good as it gets as a bull case for an industry. All right. Well, thank you very much, Tavi. And I know that you are very active on Twitter and you put out a lot of great information. Where can our, our viewers find you there? Um, I would say a few ways. At uh, uh, T Costa on my Twitter handle. Uh, I also have, uh, I'm very active on, on LinkedIn. Uh, I do the same thing I do on Twitter and LinkedIn and also on Instagram. I have a, a small account there. It's just growing now. And our website, our website, we put out our letters. Uh, that's where we put out videos, letters, and, and all, all the good stuff. We think it's good stuff. Um, and um, I, I think it's important if you want to, if you're interested in going more in deep uh, of, of uh, more, more deep on, on all this analysis, I think, I think our, our website has a lot of letters and updates that are, that are you know, great. It's cresket.net. Um, and yeah, feel free to contact me if you have uh, any questions, or if you would like to use any of these charts and anything else. All right. Thanks a lot, Tavi. And for those listening on audio, I highly recommend you check out our YouTube page for this one because there's a great video and a lot of charts accompanying this. And that's just Resource Insider at YouTube. And wherever you're listening to us, please hit subscribe. You know, we don't make any money off these videos or these podcasts. So it, it's always helpful to have more people listening and help us get the message out. So thanks for taking the time. And Tavi, thank you very much for sitting down. Thanks, Jamie. I appreciate it.